Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it is a post-race version of the podcast. We are here at ISM slash Phoenix slash whatever you want to call it, Raceway. And I'm here with Matt Weaver from Auto Week. Matt, how are you? You know, since the last time I've been on the podcast, uh, you've adopted a Bruce Michael Buffer kind of intro there. That That's impressive. That was a let's get ready to rumble <laughs> kind of moment and we we saw a rumble today well it, it was i was holding it holding it a little extra long because i was more excited than than usual or you know i was especially excited today because as you mentioned uh we we saw a good one today it was a pretty good race and i tell you what there's some days when i i look at this playoff format and i'm like oh gosh i don't know if this i don't know how comfortable i feel about this i don't know if this is the best way to decide the champion but uh today was not one of those days because this was pretty good and i think the playoffs elevated what we saw here today yeah i've said from day one the moment that they tweaked the format to include stage racing and stage points that it's the perfect blend between entertainment and integrity i think being able to collect and pocket wins during the regular season each round of the playoffs and be able to use them as a buffer if something goes wrong is a, a great benefit and we saw it during this round so to me when it when it all culminates here at phoenix ism it's the perfect combination of everything that we want to see out of a playoff uh, i remember how excited we were all of us collectively in the industry at homestead seven years ago with tony stewart and carl edwards we get that moment, whether right, wrong, and different. We get that moment three or four times a year now, heading into the playoffs, each round of the playoffs, and it all culminates here at Phoenix. And uh, I love it. I think it's great fun, great entertainment. And to me, when you look at the final four, the right guys made it. Well, and that's that's a big thing when it goes when you're talking about credibility of a format. I mean, as it turns out, after all the twists and turns all year, after all the craziness, and even in the playoffs with the Roval and all the crazy stuff that's happened, Martinsville, whatever, um, it ends up with the guys who would be the top four in the traditional point standings, according to Racing Reference, are the guys who made it. They're the top four guys in average finish all year. And they're four guys who have been there before multiple times each. Three of them have won a championship. I mean, it's really, there's no fluke guy in there. There's no like, ah, I don't know if this if this guy wins. Is that really going to be legit? You can make a case really for everybody, even Logano, because he's had the best playoffs of mm-hmm. anybody. And, you know, I really think it's it's sort of, and, you know, I have recency bias, I feel like, in everything I do. But I really think this is the best group of the Final Four that they've had in the five-year history. This is the most solid group where you look from all four drivers. You're like, this is this is a powerhouse heavyweight group. Well, I think every year that we've done this Final Four-type championship, there's always the one outlier that you look at and it's like, okay, well, maybe he doesn't necessarily belong here. And yet, uh, Ryan Newman, the first year, nearly won the championship. The year that Jimmy Johnson won it, I think we looked at him as being kind of the the outlier, and he did win it. I think probably Joey's going to go into this being the – the fourth man, it could be the defending champion, Martin, the way that he's ran kind of erratically. But yeah, when you put it together, you look at the numbers, it's the right four. The interesting thing to me about the 22 and Joey is he's won at NASCAR's largest track, and then he won at NASCAR's shortest track, and that was his path to a a championship berth. So it's kind of interesting to see how each one of these four teams, you know, traversed their way to South Beach. 
Yeah, no, that is interesting. That's a good point. Um, well, before we talk too much about Homestead, let's talk about Phoenix because it was definitely crazy enough. And I don't want to gloss over any of the action. I'm not sure where to start specifically because there's so many twists and turns. So I think it'd be almost easier to go by driver and just talk about their day. And if, if you want to do that, um, first of all, uh, Kyle Busch wins. It's his eighth win of the season. I don't know. We have to spend a ton of time on that because he had a, a relatively uneventful day compared to the other ones. But um, I mean, was it any surprise that he's going to be able to pull it off today? No, absolutely not. He's always been good at all short tracks. Phoenix yeah. has been a good place for him. Uh, it's more of the same. I think for him, a lot of people started to question the big three in general heading into these last couple of races because they weren't winning with the same regularity they were during the regular season. So for Kyle to get one here at Phoenix and to have that sort of momentum, uh, for, for Kevin Harvick to be so dominant until the things we're going to talk about later, to have that kind of performance, I think was good for him. Uh, Truex, not so much, and Joey, not so much. But that, in, in regards to Kyle, I think it's good momentum, and uh, there's no reason not to expect that he would have won or at least contended. Well, let's talk about Harvick now because I think this will go down, especially if Harvick wins the title, this will go ta- down as sort of an all-timer uh, comeback for him in some ways, or, or at least a very memorable one. And he almost made it look so easy uh, at, toward the end when when the drama uh, sort of other guys took themselves out. But it's, this had to be an incredible comeback. He he didn't seem overly excited about it afterwards, or just didn't. I mean, he was sort of downplaying it. But I just mean, just another day. Yeah, that's what he was saying. It was like, dude. I mean, when he has that incident with uh, a couple laps to go in stage one, he's dominating the race, leading the whole thing, just typical self. You know, it looks like he's going to win his tenth Phoenix race, and then all of a sudden he has a flat tire, and they're saying on TV, "Oh, you know, this damage is going to take him out of the race." Corey LaJoy, who was watching at home, tweeted, "You know, he's screwed basically," and um, they they stay calm. They make the fixes. You know, they're like, they're talking on the radio at first. It seemed like they're just talking about salvaging a day or staying in it. Next thing you know, I mean, he goes in the, in the free pass position. He gets his lap back. Uh, he gets, just keeps getting more and more in contention. They make the right pick calls, the right strategy, the late wreck with, um, Kurt and Hamlin and all, he just drives right through it, avoids it. And ultimately he makes it easily because nobody else was close unless Almirola had won. But as far as making it on points, you know, you look at just the points, if you didn't see the race, you'd be like, oh, no problem. But uh, pretty impressive the way that they, I mean, that's a championship performance right there. Yeah, you know, the the thing that reminds me of, and we don't know if Kevin Harvick is going to win this championship or not, but it reminds me of 2004 when Kurt Busch had the flat tire at Homestead right as he's approaching pit entry and he's able to dart to the left and the timing was just impeccable. For Kevin to have the flat tire right before the stage break, right before the caution, to be able to go in there without tearing up the car, very little damage. Then you get the caution. That worked out perfectly because if that had happened at the start of stage two, 15 laps prior, he loses two, two-ish laps. And that's probably a much, three, possibly. Maybe yeah. three, yeah, short track. So uh, that's a much difficult road to traverse than the one that he actually ended up having to. Yeah. So it, good and lucky. It is amazing timing. But I mean, yeah, you're you're right in on both those counts. Um so one of his teammates though uh had no luck. Um let's just talk about Clint Boyer real quick before we go into the other ones. Um just as I had tweeted, I was listening to the radio and they they felt like they were getting back in it. You know, other guys had had problems. Slowly Clint's getting up there. I think he was up to seventh place and I heard a conversation between the crew chief and the spotter and they're like, "Hey, you know what? Um you know, we, we look pretty good right now. If we get some track position, we're in this thing. Like a lap later, blown tire, game over, playoffs over. 
Um, do you think that Boyer could have had a chance to get up there had that not happened? Had he not cut that tire? Yeah, I do. I, I tend to listen to that radio channel a lot during the race. Just of Brett because Griffin. Brett, <laughs> yeah. Brett and Clinton, their interplay is so good. So I was listening to them early on too, and they were struggling early. Uh, Clint hit the wall, and you were kind of thinking, okay, this is going to be a bad day. They're going to be the one that gets eliminated early. And they were, but not in the way that I thought they would. I thought they had started to make gains. He even suggested that slapping the wall a little bit kind of tightened it up. They, they they were very loose, and it tightened the car up a little bit, and they thought they had made gains. And then just like that, as soon as they said they were right back in it, the, the tire situation, not totally sure. It looks like a puncture, maybe from going off onto the dog leg, um, just – bad misfortune but you know when you put yourself in a position to where you don't have the stage points that the guys you're racing have you can't have that happen yeah no it's so true and uh another guy who was on shr and had an up and down day ultimately down was uh kurt bush i mean it looked like for a while he was going to be the story of the race um he'd gotten up there leading uh he has this penalty that I got to be honest on first glance, I'm like, where's the penalty? And, and they had been warning them in the driver's meeting to NASCAR's credit. And then they had, you know, they showed us the, the replay. I mean, it's clear he did beat the pace car to the line. However, it seems like that happens an awful lot all year as far as, you know, quote, pulling up to Pat to pit. Um, you know, it, it just seems like there's instances and maybe they're monitoring it, but I, I swear, like at some of these bigger tracks, mile and a half tracks, you see guys accelerate and dart onto pit road, and they don't really call that kind of stuff. Maybe just the fact that it was a short track, um, it's easier to beat the pace car to the line there. But uh, I, I, you know, that was that was a rough in a in a race like this to have that call go against him. It was rough, and he had a full on meltdown. I mean, it was full on back to his monkey effing the football days. Uh, we called the playoff format a joke. <laughs> yeah. It, he, uh, he said, no wonder effing sponsors are leaving this effing sport. You know, it was, it was bad. And then Tony Stewart of all people has to come on the radio and say, take it, take a deep breath, bud. And all this stuff. I actually talked to, uh, Tony after the race and asked him about that moment. He said, yeah, scary, isn't it? I had to be the one to calm him down. But, um, I mean, it was really, but what was admirable about it was Kurt got himself back in it and was back in contention and was going for it with Denny on that on that late restart, and then ultimately um, he went. Once Denny put him in the wall, he just kind of finished it off. It looked like it looked like he was just like going to drive through Denny once yeah. that happened. So let's actually go back a little bit to sure. the uh, to the pace car incident. Let yeah. me kind of dissect this a little bit and why to me it was especially tough. As everyone knows, they've kind of rearranged the track here where the grandstands are, where Spotterville is. Spotters, the way that they look at the cars, they're looking at them head on. It's not from the side anymore. The spotters cannot see where the the pace car is relative to the driver, to the leader at all because it's coming to them head on. So the spotter can't even tell them, you know, you're, you're pulling ahead or slow down. The driver, he's in the Hans device. He can only see peripherally what's in front of him. So it's not like he can lean over and look to the right. There was no way that anyone in that situation, not saying the penalty shouldn't have been called, but I don't know from Kurt's standpoint how he could have done any differently because the spotter can't tell him because he can't see. Kurt can't know because Kurt can't see. That was just a terrible situation. The only thing that I think that you have to do as the leader is just bring the field on a little bit slower and make sure you can keep that pace car in front of you. And that's ultimately what costs Kurt because 
If Kurt's the leader, he's not caught up in that situation with Denny because Denny's behind him. Same thing for Chase. We'll talk about Chase later on. Chase made a mistake, and he put himself in that position. So all these mistakes that people made on pit road, it puts you at risk for having to race with cars because you were the leader before that. Yeah, it's it's uh, unfortunate, but I, I do think Kurt had a good uh, comeback going until – unfortunately, um, and really wasn't his fault. I mean, it was, it was a tough position racing for the lead there. I'm not sure it was going to work, but he had a shot to make that pass and who knows what would have happened if there had been more cautions, you know, he was on way older tires. So if the race had gone green, it wouldn't have worked out, but he was going to have a chance to point his way in after all that. Um, new tires didn't mean a lot today either. This, the surface is still relatively, um, young and it doesn't rain a ton in the desert, obviously. So it's not like the surface has aged too much. You saw a lot of two tire situations, old tires actually work. I mean, it provided a little bit of speed, but I feel like you can actually race with a fast enough car. 41 was probably the fastest car all day. Could have made that work on older tires. It would have been interesting to find out. Um, let's talk about Eric Almirola though, cause he's the other SHR car in this. And ultimately he was the last person with a shot to beat Kevin Harvick and it looked like he was racing his butt off. I mean, he was going for it. I don't think anybody could have driven any harder. Um, obviously it didn't, it didn't work out for him, but, uh, there was a moment there where I was like, Oh my gosh, he might do this. I mean, when he was second on that late restart, I'm like this, this could happen. Yeah, you know, he had one shot, really, on the restart, both yeah. times, two different restarts. Um, Kyle Busch had said it, too, that he really didn't have the speed to win the race, lead the race, but you never know. You get clean air, car drives differently, maybe it turns out differently. I think Eric recognized that. That was his only shot, and it was pretty much two bonsai opportunities, and he he drove everyone really, really hard. It was clear you know, from anyone watching that this was his only shot to win the race, win the championship, and ultimately just not enough speed. And and once Kyle clears him, and once, you know, I believe Kevin and and Brad was there in the mix too, mm-hmm. once those guys start to swallow him up and he's in dirty air, that was just, game over. it was game over for him. So yeah. uh, just didn't have the speed. He was only there by circumstance, really. Yeah. Think about it. Well, yeah, a lot of other people would take themselves out too at that point. Let's talk about this whole game theory thing real quick. Let's take a little time out before we go on to, to chase Truex and uh and Logano or whatever. But um so and this is I'm not saying you know that Kyle should have done this, but it's very it's to me it's very intriguing to wonder about given the situation of these playoffs. So Kyle is in a situation where Almirola is restarting with him on the front row. It could have been very easy. You know, you, you have to go 100% in theory. You can't let somebody win, but it could have been very easy for Kyle to make it look like, oh, he just beat me on the restart. And Almirola pulls ahead late in the race. Oh, look at that. Almirola won the race. Kevin Harvick's eliminated. My top threat for the championship is now gone. Uh, I understand, though, that racers want to beat the best, and it's not really, it may have been a hollow victory. And also, that's not really racing straight up. There would have been all sorts of problems if that happened. And we asked Kyle about it later, and he basically said the the 10 wasn't strong enough to win the race. And if if I had let him do that and fallen in behind him, uh, Keselowski probably would have won the race on his tires and, and just blown past us both. So it wouldn't have been worth it. But it is fun to think about. Can you walk us through uh, <laughs> what you think could have happened there? I don't think a race car driver would ever give up a win under any circumstance. This is the highest level of the sport. I could make the case that being that championships are the ultimate level, the ultimate stat, 
maybe Kyle should have. But I, this is the way I look at it. Let's say Kyle gets to 99 cup wins. And then you start to wonder, man, what if what if he had given up win number 100? Now, it might have been the reason he got championship number seven. I'm, I'm forecasting. But, like, those are the things that I think of. And so when you put that all together, I don't think a, a race car driver, a true race car driver, could ever live with himself going to bed that night, tonight, on Sunday, thinking, I let another guy win. They're just not wired that way, even if it's a— uh, a moral victory to finish second to Eric Almarola. I've just never known a race car driver who could go to bed after the race and say, yeah, I let someone else win and, and justify it. Like that, that synapse isn't even there. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and especially Kyle Busch. I mean, um, he's a guy who he, he wouldn't even let his own son win a race. I'm pretty sure. So, but, uh, I do wonder like, what if that had been, uh, his friend, Brad Kozlowski, who he could have eliminated, um, through that or something like if that's Kozlowski instead of Harvick, would he be like, bye? You know, I, I still don't think so, but it's just kind of uh, interesting to think about an interesting well, scenario. On that note, I mean, he even brought up the fact that if he lets Eric pass him, well, then by default, Brad probably wins that race. And I don't think Kyle Busch could live with himself if he effectively let Brad Kozlowski win a race too. Yeah, That's even worse. His quote was, that would have been dumb. Yeah. Yeah. For so, reasons we all know because of their history. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of interesting to think about Adam Stevens seemed a little bit more open to it than Kyle did. You know, he's like, I could have driven my pit box out there, you know, but, uh, um, <laughs> it's a great visual by the way, yeah, you know, him is. out there driving a pit box. Yeah. And just, just pull know, up runs on the track over. <laughs> and yeah, pulls a Kenseth on Logano kind of thing. Anyway, um, speaking of Logano, let's just talk about him really quick. You know, he blows a tire race over early. Do you think that hurts any of his momentum going into, um, next week? I really don't. I mean, cause that car for Homestead, it's already built. Um, Joey has been a part of, I believe, two championship fours before, so he's got the experience. I think, I think is it possibly three? It might be three, yeah. Two seems light. He was part of the first one, I know for sure. There was the one where he ran into Carl. This would be three. Oh, this would be his third because um, he should have made it. Um, he's been part of two. Mm-hmm. He should have made it the Kenseth year. Right. He took him out. That would have been three. And then last year he missed – and this would this is the fifth year of it. So right. yeah, he's been two two before. You're so right, we yeah. think of Kyle and Kevin as being the the standard bearers of this format because they've won the championship under that format. And maybe Truex now because it's his third as well. And um, he's won a championship. And he's won format. a championship. But I think Joey is underrated as far as a master of this format. Like if you were to have your your Mount Rushmore of this format, they're all racing for a championship next yeah. weekend. So it's kind of the best possible uh, foursome, really, to crown a champion because they're all the best at doing this. And they're all really good at Homestead, too, when it comes to just their drivers. So it's up to the teams, the crew chiefs, to be able to put the car on the track. They're going to have a little bit of of luxury and leeway, I feel like, because there's always a point at Homestead where the top four are the top four on the track. I think NASCAR gives them just a little bit more room to to be aggressive, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Truex real quick. It seemed like he just drove a smart, conservative race today. They pitted late for tires. They did mm-hmm. what they had to do, just stay out of trouble, make sure they made it. Because they were getting to, in a situation where they were so good on points. Um, you know, it, it just seemed like it was, a, it was a smooth, clean day. It was what they had to do, you know? Yeah, I think late in the race I had this moment where I realized that um, Kyle Busch literally had nothing to lose, so he could afford to have guys race him hard and to race hard because he had been locked in with about 25 to go or something like that because he needed to finish 
32nd at the start of the stage. When Stenhouse wrecked out, yeah. that gave him the uh, clinch, basically. So, yeah. so he could afford to mix it up with the leaders on the opposite end of the spectrum. The 78 had a little bit of leeway, needed to finish 23rd or higher. So I, I thought that was the right move. You know, put on new tires, just try to avoid anything that goes wrong. If you lean back a little bit, if guys are crashing in front of you, you can drive around it. So, yeah, I, I think that was kind of the smart play. And they're the defending champions, and there's no reason to think they won't be in the mix next weekend, too. Yeah, because if he does something dumb or gets crashed out there like Kurt did, um, Chase Elliott probably has got a shot to make it. He finishes three laps down, but he's still running around just waiting for somebody to fall off, either Harvick or Truex, and somebody fall back to him, I think. Um, Here's the question I got for you, though. Mm -hmm. I'm really going to shake up this podcast. Okay. Are the four that we have locked in right now truly the four that are locked in? We're not going to know for sure till Wednesday. I think they are. I think they are. Um, because, you know, this Phoenix is not a track where you would necessarily... I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're trying some stuff, but it's less likely than a mile-and-a-half track. It's always the downforce tracks where we tend to hear these stories. Kansas, Texas, yeah. Dover. I, I guess I just am... Part of that's... Honestly, uh, looking back on my answer just now, it's totally wishful thinking. I just <laughs> don't really want to have to deal with that. But uh, it's it's possible. I mean, they took um, Harvick uh, as the last car in, and they took Chase Elliott's car as the what last car What was left out. of Chase's car. Right. So they're going to inspect them both at the R&D Center, and if one falls out, um, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but Chase, you know, he was – you know, a lot of fans were mad at Denny Hamlin, obviously, for that, that incident. First of all, I get being mad at Denny. He's the one that screwed up. But I also understand that this is Denny Hamlin is facing his first winless season in his career, and that may have been his one chance to go for it or his last mm-hmm. chance. So don't totally blame him, but he did screw up. So I guess if you're you know a Chase fan, you're mad. But Chase himself, after the race, seemed more mad at himself for the pit road speeding penalty to put himself in a in a position that wasn't favorable. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that. Um, he didn't even want to talk about the crash. I'd ask right. him the question. I said, you know, is there anything you could have done differently? And he's like, I don't even, I mean, I could go second guess it, but it doesn't matter. I shouldn't have been there in the first place. To him, it was about speeding on pit road, uh, pit entry. They got him at the, the first segment of pit road. And uh, for him, you can't make mistakes that late in the season. When you have a car that can win, he qualified second, led 17 laps. You can't do that. And um, it's a young driver mistake. Uh, although we've seen veterans do it too. But I think this is a young driver mistake and uh, might have cost himself a championship. Yeah. So before we get to our homestead predictions. Actually, as, let me ask you something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Chase Elliott, we, we talk often about how Chase is the new Dell Jr. in a lot of ways. Yeah. How much is this unfortunate for NASCARs in the grand scheme of things that, that Chase Elliott won't be racing for a championship? Um. I don't think it's that big of a thing. I mean, you know, ultimately if maybe he had won a championship or something, but you know, as far as like, will it affects Homestead viewership and things like that? Um, Homestead TV ratings even went down last year in Dale Jr.'s final race and things like that. So I think at this point, and we've seen the ratings go down, even as Chase Elliott has won some races here recently. I just don't think that one person makes that big of a difference at this point. I mean, maybe if he builds up some massive fan base, there's no doubt he's, He's the most popular, I think, of the drivers who are left, but I don't think it makes a huge impact outside the sport where a lot of people would be drawn in right now. I think a lot of people outside NASCAR would be who? You know, Chase yeah. Elliott, Chase who? So 
Um, I don't think, you know, if, if he ultimately had won a championship and given people a reason to be like really invested in him going into next year, that'd be something, but just for Homestead itself, I don't think it's a major deal breaker either way. And Kevin and Kyle bring the star power. I think they, Eh. within, within our sphere at least. Yeah. Within this sport. Right. I don't think it's a big drop off had Chase been in and had Kevin been out really in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, I think when, if you're trying to sell this to like the national media, you know, like ESPN sports center or something like that, like who's in it. And you're saying the names. I, th- I still think a lot of fans are like, don't know these drivers that well, just cause it's not every driver now though. Well, pretty, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, before we move on to our, our homestead predictions and as well as the good race poll predictions, which we'll, we'll wrap things up with. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on, on Tanner Berryhill. So here's a guy who, um, he had not run any sort of a, a NASCAR race, uh, in four years, 2014, he comes today and is running in, you know, back marker car and, uh, it's his cup debut and he causes two cautions, you know, maybe, you know, it, one of them was a spin. So you, you know, it was definitely his fault. Second one, I think maybe he cut a tire. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what happened to, to cause a second one, but, um, you know, should, should NASCAR at all look at that, like guys, um, who are jumping into the cup series with no experience or, or late, like for these playoff, given how much is on the line, these playoff races, do you think that that's something that NASCAR needs to look at or consider? You know, it's tough. Um, I, I, I guess my initial response would be, let's just talk about Tanner in a vacuum first. This is a guy with talent. Like I've seen him race a ton, uh, never really had the equipment to show it in NASCAR, seen him race on dirt a little bit. Guy's got talent, but not a ton in NASCAR national touring. So the argument's completely valid is should a guy that has, you know, a couple dozen national touring starts be making his cup debut in a race that will decide who makes the championship? Ultimately, in this economic environment, it's really hard to tell a team when a guy has a sponsor, presumably, that's paying for a ride, that's putting a car on the track, that you can't enter the race, um, I just don't see where that's a pathway that you go. And and what is the arbitrary number? Like what number of Xfinity series or combined Xfinity and truck series starts? Because, you know, Cody Ware as well. Cody Ware has 14 combined Xfinity and truck starts, I believe. And, you know, he was out of the way, not a story. But I think ultimately you just let the racers race. And look, the veterans know who they're racing around to. And fortunately, he didn't crash anyone else. He crashed himself twice, uh, two different incidences. But, uh, that's racing. If it wasn't him, maybe it could have been something else. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse had an issue, and Alex Bowman's engine blew up. So I think ultimately you just chalk it up to racing, and it comes with the territory. If it wasn't a caution for Tanner Berryhill, it would have been a caution for something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I can kind of see it both ways. I it's just a different feel like- story if he crashes a contender. Sure, sure. I just feel like, you know, when you're, when you're having somebody affect as much as emphasis is put on these races to have someone who is not, you know, in the sport for four years, essentially just hop in and cause two cautions, whether it's their fault or not, it's, it's kind of tough to swallow. I don't know, but, but I understand what you're saying too. It's tough for me to have this conversation because at what point does that then turn into why was Denny Hamlin racing the championship leaders really hard? And like you said, he's trying to win his first race of the year. So I, I just think that setting the the barometer yeah. on that is really challenging because like how high up do you go? How low do you go? Ultimately, racing is just going to be racing. Yeah. Well, um, let's start with our homestead predictions to put you on the spot here. 
Um, I'm going to give you my homestead predictions first, as you think of yours. I'm going to say that Kevin Harvick, who's been the fastest all year, uh, wins the title. Joey Logano, who is uh, the second fastest forward who's still in it, I think is going to finish second among the title contenders because I just feel really strongly that the Fords have a leg up right now on the Toyotas, given what we saw at Texas and things like that. I'll say Kyle Busch will finish third among them, and Truex will uh, finish fourth. What's your uh, take on that? It's hard to argue. Um you know, I, I think the feel-good story would be back-to-back championships for Martin Truex, Furniture Row. That'd be unbelievable. I mean, that's 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 really darn cool. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they've lost so much momentum. I don't know if it's just they they're losing a handful of people. Uh, they've had a they've had a lot of could be wins taken away from them. It's like the the air in the balloon has kind of been popped, and they're here, so maybe they get it back. But, you know, if you look at Kevin Harvick's numbers at Homestead mm-hmm. with Rodney Childers, he's really good. Yeah. And so is Kyle Busch, and he's always been in the mix every time he's a championship-eligible el- driver. Kevin and Rodney-built cars are really, really good at Homestead. So if they don't win the championship, the championship is going to go through them in the sense that it's been this way all year, and it's been this way the since he joined the four team. The only driver... And the only team that can stop the four team is Kevin Harvick and the four team on pit road, something that happens on the track. But if it's just in a vacuum, pure speed, it's the four. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, okay, so let's talk about the good race poll. Um, obviously, this was a wild race, not necessarily like an amazing finish. And you have the fact that Kyle Busch won, which seems to take off, I don't know, 7 to 10% at times off the poll because people don't like those kind of wins. Um, but I, I think the, the fact that it was a good compelling race overall, people will vote fairly high on this one. So I think I will, do you, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first, but only because like, I don't want to be persuaded and I'm always, I'm always, I suck at this game. Like I think the last (laughs) time we did this was Richmond and I was, I was way off base and you, you even told me right off the bat that I was way off base. I was trying to do the, um, price is right. $1. I was trying to play the $1. Uh, I'm going to say 81. Oh my gosh. I had 80 in my head. So I don't know. I don't want to do that to you. I $1 would you $81 would you. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could just basically go uh, above or below that. Um, I, I, I do feel like it's going to be in the 80s, though, because I feel like this was a good race. So why why would people be like, nah, that race sucked? It's like, who's going to say that? Um, I feel like it was good. I mean, entertainment value-wise. So um, if you'll allow me, I might I might go 85 if, if that's okay. Although, I, like I said, I was going to do 80, so that's kind of mean to box you in on 85. But To me, this is an, a 90 race. Like, if I were to give myself the number, like, yeah. I was 90% satisfied it was pretty good. It was really good. Yeah, it was pretty and good. And I'm not persuaded by Kyle Busch winning. So, like, to me, it's a 90% satisfactory race. I, I wish if there was some crashing between playoff contenders, that would have happened 10 to go, something Instead like that. Instead of, like, 40 to right. go. Yeah, that so, would have been more dramatic. Yeah. So I think with Kyle winning, though, if I'm looking at the overall market, I'm treating this like the stock market, uh-huh. uh, you have to take off nine. So it's 81. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, 81 for you, 85 for me. Matt, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, we can follow all your work at um, Auto Week. And um, you are Matt Weaver AW on Twitter, which I read as Matt Weaver all. <laughs> That's or, what my mind reads it as. Or, or Matt Weave raw. Oh, yeah. yeah I didn't think about that. Raw. Okay. Okay. 
So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Coming up on the next edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast, it's going to be the final 12 questions of the season with Landon Castle. That comes out on Tuesday. He's always last but not least for the seventh year in a row in that slot. And then if I make it to media day in time, my flight's going to be a little bit iffy. The time was changed on on the media day time after I booked my flights. But if I do make it, uh, I'm going to try to do a podcast from media day next Thursday. So stay tuned for that one as well. And of course, there will be a post-race podcast one week from tonight when we know the champion of the sport. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.